pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Hello and welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Avkar, joined by my fellow noir brethren and returning co-host, Zero Cool. Greetings. Zero joined us for the last episode, and we hope to have him back as a regular in 2023. Very exciting year, 2023. It's shaping up to be a good one. Oh, it's been great so far. I've been really, really enjoying myself uh, in EVE lately. Oh, it's just been, it's just been so good for us lately. So our, our top story... And we touched on it at the end of the last show very briefly. It it pretty much just started happening. We've now had a couple weeks in, and uh, we'll give you an update on how it's going. But the Network Alliance, NARS Alliance, the network, we have expanded. We now have two corps in the Alliance besides NAR Academy. It's Horngree and Quantum Cat Syndicate, a.k.a. Q-Cats. These are two of the top corps in Galenti Militia. Horngree probably best known for running the Glenty Militia Discord and for doing a lot of the hauling and logistics work for the entire Glenty Militia effort. Uh, they're also an extremely active PvP corp in their own right. And QCATs are a small but pretty highly skilled force as well. They've really complemented our uh, efforts in uh, LOSEC, I think. And, you know, generally they, they've some very high quality pilots uh, within the group. I mean, very active as well. I've just been overall very, very... Not just impressed, but just enjoying their company. Yeah, they're they're definitely the two groups that we interacted the most with in Galmil, aside from Sedition, which is the largest and most active Galmil alliance. Um, this movement puts Network firmly in the number two spot. Um, and I imagine our uh, kill volume will only increase now that we're all merged up and we're not doing as much admin work. So, uh, I don't know about the other guys, but I I was busy for a lot of last week just writing in docs and, and messing around on Discord and copying things over and working with doctrines and all that stuff, and it wasn't out pvp nearly as much. So once that's all put to bed, I think our PvP output is going to spike quite a bit. I've always been impressed by uh, just how much sort of industrialism goes on in such a small group as Noir. Mostly jump freighting things around rather than uh, actually build it. Although I know people do build stuff as well in the group. Um, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like, you know, potentially being able to sort of, I don't know, buy doctrine ships on contract regularly. I mean, that's going to be like not something that we've never done as a group in Noir. I mean, there are certain times where I've done that. And, uh, you know, if we've been staged somewhere for a few weeks or whatever, or in Thera, we've had a regular stock of stuff. But the thought that that could be, like, the norm is is quite exciting. Well, I mean, it's a good problem to have, but we rarely went through those ships fast enough to, you know, justify it. We've had people throw up our doctorate ships on contract, and the contracts will expire before we really go through even half of them. <laughs> yeah. Now that we have a critical mass of pilots and the level of activity in faction warfare, I think it makes that more possible. Um, I guess the big question in the audience's mind, you know, how is this going to affect Noir doing contracts? We're still going to be doing contracts. It's still going to be the primary content that our group does, but we've really found a home in faction warfare, and this just kind of makes that official. It has been just... I mean, as good as the Thera move was for us, for those longtime listeners who were around when we left Providence for Thera, that was good. 
this has been great. Uh, it's definitely the right vibe for us right now. We like the development direction that CCP is going in, and I know that there's more coming down the pipe, which is quite exciting. Uh, it's got the members excited. We've had a lot of returning members, a lot of new recruitment. The action has been pretty engaging. It's pretty diverse as well and pretty convenient to get into no matter what your schedule is. So I think it's a great home base for us, but we are still loving contracts. It's just in the DNA of our corp to always do that. How this will work with Horngry and QCATs, we are staying in Faction Warfare for the long term. And when we get contracts, they will have the option of coming with us if they want. And if we ever run into a wall, whether it's a structure that we are having a trouble killing or a really big, ambitious campaign in Nullsec or Wormhole Space that we need their help on, they're going to deploy with Noir as an alliance. So not every contract we get will be the entire alliance going, but when we need them, we've got them. Another thing I think is really positive is the time zone, sort of the blending. It works really well, I think. You know, We've been very strong in EU time zone during 2022, and it's nice that you know the US time zone now has had a boost. And um, you know, I've noticed that we have things going on in the EU time zone now that sort of carry on into US time zone and beyond and uh, into AU time zone as well. Um, so it's really exciting to think that we could have people around the clock potentially. Um, and on, on the whole sort of noir being in faction warfare between contracts thing, I think, you know, for me, one of the real draws of noir is the idea of being paid to PvP. And, you know, whenever I get those sort of LP rewards for killing um, Calmill, in uh in faction warfare space that really uh helps me to feel like i'm you know truly being paid to pvp and it's something i did, i hadn't thought about i i was kind of aware of it but it, you do get quite a good amount of lp just for killing uh other people <laughs> it's like a nice little tip like the bounty system yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't go out of my way to kill someone with that incentive but it's nice you know you, you pick up a, a like a nice 1v1 and then you check like oh just got 2,000 LP for that. That's cool. <laughs> and if you kill a high volume of things, then it really does start to add up quite fast. Sometimes I'll pick up like 24,000 LP for a kill. And I think, oh, that's, Damn. Yeah, that's reasonable. What is that? Do you know what that translates into in terms of items? How much that is? The way I've always seen it is like 24,000. I mean, I think that's as much as 24 mil. Oh, bro. That is that's pretty good. Yeah, that's a whole actually, uh, battlefields thing, which have been really great sources of PvP content. You're in one of those things. You know, finish it in less than an hour. You're pulling down a hundred thousand loyalty points easily, if not two hundred thousand. Sometimes. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm yet to actually regularly convert LP to ISK. Um, it's not something I tend to really focus on. Um, I'll probably use mine for like mind links and things like that, things I want, and I then probably won't sell them. I'll probably just buy items I want. I might sell some things. I won't keep track of it. So I, I'm not a reliable person in terms of how much is an LP worth. But that's that's generally what I think it is. Yeah, I know the um, the the top end is basically a million LP for one of the blueprints, which I have done. Yeah, yeah, these the um the the sort of dreads. yeah the dreads yeah so and converting a dread to a navy dread as well that's that's up in the million plus isn't it yeah and I I believe I'm gonna say you could get the blueprints for like two billion one to two billion 
So it's about about an isk. No, be yeah, a one LP, a hundred isk. I think that's reasonable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's pretty good. So yeah, it works out. I think it, it matches the ethos of the corp. We've made great friends and contacts here. And, you know, we're still going to get a lot of faction warfare development from CCP in 2023. So everything's looking up. Absolutely. As far as our fleet sizes, it's really helped us. We've been able to field 10-man fleets on pretty short notice pretty much any time, not any time of day, but any weekday. U.S. time zone, just drop a ping out. Um, less than 24 hours notice, 10 pilots, easy, which is nice. It, it, there's, we've talked about it a couple times, but there's a critical mass. If you have five pilots versus 10 pilots, you know, there's a lot more you can get done with 10. If you go 10 to 15, then you're like potentially kill a, a Varger before it gets triage reps level of damage. And then once you hit 20, you're really rocking in terms of the things that you can do and the kills that you can get. Uh, I know that's, you know, there's like a less than 10 crowd that really prides themselves on being able to do it with less than 10 people. But just in terms of the sheer flexibility and the reward for your time, if you've got 20 pilots worth of fleet, you can get a nice balance of logistics damage and different fleet roles while actually having enough damage power to kill something before it gets reps. It's just huge. And even though, you know, these fleets are now going above the 10 number, um, we're talking slashers sometimes. We're talking, you know, T1 frigates, T1 destroyers. We're not talking blobs of T2 cruisers or battle cruisers. Nope. In fact, uh, I don't know if we've really talked about it, but the primary doctrines that we've been using have been mostly Tech 1 and Faction lately because Tech 2 ships only get access to a small portion of faction warfare content. So if you want to be able to take on any fleet that you're running into and they're in the faction warfare sites, if you want to play the game, you've got to be in Navy or Tech 1 ships. So we've actually been using a lot of Tormentors, a lot of Navy Omens, Navy Augurs, Harbingers, Inquisitors, Augurs, Exekers, Exeker Navies, uh, the new Destroyer line, the Catalyst Navy, the Coercer Navy, Cormorant Navy. All these ships have been seeing a lot of play for us, which is a big departure from what we used to do, which was pretty much Tech 2 all the way. If, uh, that and Triglavian, which counts as Tech 2 for the purposes of Faction Warfare. It's, it's, a, it's been different, but it's been fun. It's a lot of fun, and it's, it, it's engageable, isn't it? So, you know, people are not feeling oppressed by it. And, um, you know, we've got people who can join and, and come and join us and get into this very quickly in the area of careers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we've been trying to get on the same page with doctrines. I just talked about our main faction warfare doctrines. We're also porting over some of our contract doctrines for the entire alliance. Lashaks, of course. Typhoons, not going away. Um, we're also going to keep our wolf fleet, our wolves and nurgles, which we really like. Um, from there, we'll probably expand, I would imagine. You know, see how the meta plays out. See what CCP does this year as far as ship balancing. We're kind of light on shield doctrines. so. Might take a look at adding one of those at some point this year, but we'll see how everything shakes out. The other thing that we had to get on the same page was, was comms. So we're using the Glenty Militia Discord, and as part of making it a little more friendly for Alliance use, uh, we worked with Nix, who owns the Discord, to do a big reorganization and restructure of that Discord 
So it's more compact, has better role management, has a bunch of channels just for our alliance to use, and kind of a better arrangement of channels for everyone else. So it's a net positive for the entire Galenti militia community, because now the Discord is a lot more functional and a lot better organized and a lot easier to use if you're just joining it, a little less overwhelming. I found the transition to be quite smooth from our end. And um, it just, sometimes you look and you think, oh, where is, oh, yes, of course, and on the Galente Discord, and then uh, everyone's there. Um, it is, it's fine. I mean, in credit to Nix, he's got a really uh, well-organized um, suite of, of, you know, resources there. I mean, it's been really, that's kind of what I was alluding to when I was talking about how, you know, the doctrine situation could be in a very different place soon. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. It's it's new territory for a lot of the faction warfare guys in Horngree and QCATs. So we're going to have a whole bunch of fleets, getting them used to some of the Tech 2 and Battleship doctrines that they don't really have a lot of experience in because it rarely comes up in faction war. We just had one. We did a, a bit of a wolf room, took some fights, Lost a fight. I thought for sure we were like we were going to win. It just they we kind of got a little outplayed, uh, which I'm not ashamed to admit. But it was just very surprising given the comps. We had them slightly outnumbered. I thought we had pretty good resistances for their damage, but they range controlled really well. And uh, wolves need to be really right on top of stuff to do damage. And they had a bit more projection. It was confessors versus wolves, and they really took advantage of that played it very well so shout out to those guys it's a great fight we reshipped went right back out caught a couple stuff roaming around some cow mill vexers and then we ultimately fought a cow mill merlin fleet about equivalent to our size uh we just stopped it <laughs> it was very satisfying i was listening in on the first fight I, I was with you after that um and uh you know it's rare that you find those engagements where you know you've sort of got like a handful of you on, on each side. Um, you're both in sort of a similarly, in terms of strength, in a similar composition. You're both sides out of Butcher, um, some interest in play. And I think, yeah, just that range control enough to mitigate against the wolf when it's fit for close range damage. Uh, and that's it. You know, you, you're sort of 50% less effective damage wise with the wolves. And I, I mean, it's not very often, is it, that you get those sort of almost matchups. Yeah, I think a key element was they had Tenement Lodgy, and we only had a few webs. One of our webs got pinned down almost immediately and wasn't able to apply. And the other one got the web on, but it was still pulling range well. And, you know, our, our wolves had to, like, keep the micro-warp drives running, but we didn't really realize that in time. So we spent a lot of time chasing and catching up to it. And as we did, our DPS would fall off really harshly. So you'd see it get to, like, a third armor, and then claw itself all the way back pretty much until we caught up with it again, and then we'd claw it down, and then it'd bring itself back up with its partner. Meanwhile, they were putting sustained pressure on our logistics frigates, and eventually they got one of them. And once the first one went down, the rest of our fleet started to fall pretty quick. It's that little tiny element is all it took. That's why I love those small 10v10 type fights. I mean, when do you actually see 10MN frigate lodgy in the wild yeah it used to be common i haven't really run into it too much lately and i definitely haven't run into it fighting with our wolf fleet um i've run into it mostly i think when we were in cruiser type stuff 
and the dynamic is a little different there. I'd love to see more of it. Oh, I'm sure we will. I I think these guys are going to be hanging around. I'm definitely looking for a rematch with them at some point. <laughs> or, you know, recruit them to the Alliance, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> Whichever comes first, yeah. Uh, the only other bit of note is we got a war deck from Tissue. They are uh, got a bit of notoriety for as the only alliance that has been removed from the alliance tournament for being too racist and too toxic. You're wondering why CCP put that rule into the alliance tournament this year. It's these guys. Uh, they're pretty small, though. I think a 100-man alliance or 100-character alliance. They joined Galenti Militia and then I think just... Either they came into troll or they took offense that no one was happy that they were there and started war decking folks, including us. I presume they war decked the, because Nix, aka the CEO of Horngree, also runs the Discord and they weren't allowed in the Discord. They probably didn't even realize that it was our alliance. But, you know, we'll see what happens. We're going to be killing their Astra hopefully within an hour and a half of this recording. Uh, <laughs> Hopefully that goes well, and, and we're not laughing at them here prematurely. But oh yes, absolutely. There's no doubt that they've got some some competence there, isn't there? And, and they can field some pretty interesting and powerful stuff. But numbers wise, it doesn't seem like it's likely that they can contest us. But we'll see. And uh, yeah, just just a strange turn of events all, all overall. I mean, fair fair enough if they're trolling, but uh, otherwise, if they if they wanted to shoot us this badly, they could have just joined Camel. <laughs> so yeah, well, it's, yeah, it goes. Yeah, it's it's almost like they've turned um they've turned low sec into null sec. You know, they they can shoot um Calmill and most of Galmill now without losing any. Without losing any <laughs> I don't standards. think they actually were decked that many people in Camel. I think it was just network and Aderon robotics. I don't know if they had more planned or whatnot, but that's why I think it was probably more of a personal thing. But it's it's not much of a disruption. I guess it's a bit novel because we haven't seen anyone in the militia war deck anyone else in the militia yet. But mechanics wise, it's not it's nothing special really. And we're just gonna knock over the Astra and we'll be done with it. Speaking of Astras, we got hired to save an Astra the other week. It was reinforced by Fire Coalition about a day before they just got word that their coalition's going to stop existing really soon. So when we came in with the save fleet, they did not in fact turn up. So the Astra repaired to make sure that our employer, who is someone that we've worked with before, uh, got their money's worth. We helped them reinforce, um, I believe it was another Astra or was it an Astra or an Athenor? I, I think it was an Astra. I want to say it was an Astra. Reinforced a, a Fire Co. Astra that they were going to try to get some content from later on. But yeah, a small coalition of alliances down there in the Curse area looking to pick the bones of Fire. And they have, in fact, been farming quite a bit of the extraction fleets. Because in our top story in Nullsec, PanFam has declared a War of Elimination versus Fire Coalition. They have said that they are going to completely evict them out of Nullsec. Yeah, I think the stated objective is to break them up. Um, so I suppose, yeah, acknowledging that the individual alliances might, you know, exist after this, but they want to try and stop Fire Coalition from being a thing. And I think they're not taking any defectors either. So those alliances are going to go. They might take hmm. space somewhere else, but they're not going to keep the space they have now. Gotcha. 
wonder if that'll include the, uh, you know, the idea that this is all about um, making room for smaller corps or alliances to carve out a little bit of NALSAC without uh, interference from null blocks. doesn't sound like uh, they'll be allowed to do that, any of these participating alliances within FICO. Well, I don't know. I, th- I think it's early days. I think it's easy to say that, no, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to take any defectors to encourage them to get the heck out. Um, you know, that that's as easy as Gobbins just changing his mind. And maybe there's an alliance that he likes or an alliance that he think would work in his new vision for that area. And maybe they get a little side deal. Mm-hmm. It's It's nothing set in stone, but at least that's the expectation laid out at this point that He's kind of bunching all of Fireco together, and they're just going to go down, wipe uh, with a clean sweep. So the first I heard of this was when somebody posted a meme or something about um, Init deploying down there against fire. Uh, so I, I saw that, and I thought, oh, interesting. And then almost like the same time, I heard about Gobbin's announcement as well. So very interesting that uh, Init initiative and pandemic hold at the time both doing the same thing at the same time but not together apparently well pseudo together Gobbins posted a whole bunch of background on why this is happening which included that he wanted to make sure that goons wouldn't deploy to support them just to spite panfam and you know Mm. once that agreement was made then i think it's kind of the writing is on the wall for them initiative had fought Fireco fairly recently, uh, and then had to withdraw after the whole um, Matani Me Too controversy. They pulled back from that war, but you know this is essentially them coming in to finish the job. So my understanding is that uh, the wording they've used is that that Panfam and Initiative are going to sort of conveniently ignore each other in 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 this. So they're not going to shoot each other on site. Um, they both kind of gone off after the same objective. And as far as I understand it, the goons are not participating in, in this, but that doesn't stop them from roaming around and third-partying on things and, and just generally, you know, shooting everyone except initiative. So uh, really not looking good for fire. No, I think they shat a collective brick as soon as the initial declaration hit from Panfam. And uh, their view is that they are a self-described uh, collection of small alliances. So, <laughs> you know, small alliances like Razor and X Death, <laughs> <laughs> holding null sex for the little guy. These and you know these these small alliances—they're a collection of small corporations. Of course, of course. And these corporations—they're a collection of small groups of pilots. Yeah, groups of individuals who, you know, are there to support the individual play styles and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And all of that apparently takes about eight or nine regions to to fit in. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I'm not even going to say it's going to be an interesting one. I think the writing's been on the wall for fire for a very long time. Uh, it wasn't for, Goonswarm having to do a change of leadership and a bit of a cleaning house, they probably would have collapsed as a coalition a long time ago. I wonder if they'd have survived if they'd consolidated into four regions of those eight or nine. Um, I'm not saying they would have, but I, I don't know. You know, if they'd 
taken up less space down there would they have would they be in this position and i think that's that's the kind of argument coming back from everyone is okay you might be doing this because you think that um they've taken up too much space for their size but is that really the reason who knows yeah don't know um Gobbins apparently really wants Faith Abolis to be like a a querious fight club situation. A bunch of small alliances where coalitions aren't really allowed to get involved and just have them duke it out. Yeah. Which, you know, is a cool idea. I don't know why he picked Faith Abolis for that particular project, but So according to some people on Reddit who are definitely on the fire side, um, you know, they had to take Faith Abolis because nobody else wanted it. And it's such a bad patch of space, so isolated, so many, you know, mids to get there that, uh, that there's just no way anybody else would, e- would, would ever want Faith Abolis, uh, any of these, you know, so-called small, theoretically small alliances or groups. But, um, if I was, you know, the CEO of some sort of high sec or low sec group and I wanted to take up a, a bit of solve, I wouldn't mind if it was Faith Abolis. You know, what's wrong with that? I mean, wormholes exist. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with Faith of Balls. Traditionally, it's been a uh, like a renter area. There hasn't really been any major coalitions that decided to put its headquarters or significant activity there. It's just been an area for just straight farmers, which if you wanted to discourage that, putting a, a couple small active alliances in there to like kind of own the area, it's a good way to counter that, I would think. Yeah, buffer between... Um... Well, it'd be initiative. Sorry, not not initiative. Imperium and um, Pan Farm, I suppose, and whoever else ends up down south. And uh, just yeah, it'd be nice not to have you know a two sided, a clearly two sided Nullsec. I mean, I know there are people in between, there are groups in between, but generally it's it's the big two, isn't it? Um, and and everybody not thought big three now. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, everybody seemed to think that Fire was kind of aligned with Pan Farm. Um, and, I mean, they uh, were by default, right? Because they were at war with Imperium, mm-hmm. and they used Panfam's support to help keep them alive and null. That's pretty much how it went down. I mean, does anyone think that what Panfam have done here is evidence that they are unpredictable? I don't know. Um, certainly from Fire's point of view, I think they thought Panfam were their allies, and uh, not anymore. I think based on what I've seen from the, from what Gobbins has posted. And, you know, it could be biased conversations or, or only, you know, bits taken out of context, but it sounds like the leadership of fire did not fully appreciate how dependent they were on PanFam to exist. And, you know, <laughs> it doesn't make it sound too bad, but didn't really show them the proper respect. Didn't show them the deference, uh, basically made anything that they wanted to do kind of more complicated and a bit of a pain. And, you know, if you're an alliance that needs someone more than they need you and you're treating them poorly and, you know, not helping them with the things that they need, you kind of have to realize that that's not a really winning diplomatic strategy. Yeah. I mean, if you're pretty much reliant on the biggest group in the game, for your continued existence in in the space you're in, you kind of have to do as they ask, kind of. Yeah, and it's, it's not like you have to do every little thing, but when they're making it really clear that this needs to happen and you're dragging feet on it, yeah, it's going to be an issue. Um, and I think it's interesting that 
I mean, the game needs some conflict right now. Panfam has been looking over to Brave Space to get the fight, which is fine, but they have no interest in evicting Brave. So for like a true, proper, mobilize the coalition type war, it doesn't really get them anything. Fraternity would be their natural enemy at this point in terms of, uh, you know, if, if they're looking at strategic rival, it would be Imperium, of course, literally on the other side of the map, but they also have Fraternity that's kind of right beside them and has shown some signs of weakness. But Fraternity has also shown no signs of aggression toward them and is also very inconvenient for them to fight because of the time zones. Fire is the next logical choice. I mean, they're they're not really a risk. They can fight them without any real fear of negative things happening to them. And as long as Fraternity won't stab them in the back and Goonswarm won't come to help prop them up, it's really no question of their ability to win, which is why we have Fireco unanchoring all of their structures and doing an immediate evac before the first shots of the war had even been fired. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the, the, they know the writing is on the wall. And it it is (laughs) like they have no chance at stopping them. So they're going to pull up stakes. I don't know where they go exactly. They will, they don't really have any place to redeploy except maybe like in the the Providence area, like move closer to low sec and away from hand fam, but they're not going to be able to go back to their old space unless they reform and try to reinvade it, which I presume you know, Panfam will not want to let them do if they go through all the trouble of setting up new alliances in that protected area. They can't fight Fraternity, although it would be interesting if they tried. I, I don't see that going very well. Forget about Imperium. So are they going to attack Volta and Brave? Even if they did... <sighs> I love their chances at dislodging them, considering Fraternity couldn't. Absolutely. You know, Volta and Brave can put up a resistance. And okay, you know, as far as I know, Fireco, they're very well, you know, sort of, they've got plenty of supers, um, plenty of resources. Uh, that being said, have they got it in Brave's time zone? In Volta's time zone? I don't know. And, um, you know, it's a long way to go. Um, and, and, you know, you've got, initiative right next door who probably quite willing to turn up in third party and help out brave just yep. content i mean they've lost two keep stars as i as i i'm mean, looking up you know the bosses since uh, countless jump this. raiders yeah um no huge battles as far as i know there was a reddit post about you know an alleged super camp brawl but uh, i think there were only supers on one side and that was the fire side i, I I think most of what's been going on has been relatively uncontested. There's been a lot of game theory, you know, both sides just taking the fights that they can win. And as far as I can work out, that's more pandemic horde and initiative taking the fights they can win versus the the other way around. I mean, death might uh, try to push back a little bit to buy themselves some time. They might have some strategic assets they can't evacuate in time and might need to rally to defend them. But I don't expect to see a, like a brave style protracted defense. Certainly not. Um, It will take Panfam a long time to grind through all these regions. That is a lot of space, but I think we're not going to see too many pitch battles. I think Legion will 
has clearly signaled that they want to preserve their ships and money as much as possible for something. It's just I'm racking my brain and have racked my brain out. What does that next thing look like for them? I don't think they have any great options to redeploy anywhere, at least right now. They might go to NPC Nullsec and buy their time. They might try to set themselves up in Pravi because that region has just been recently destabilized with uh, Wrecking Crew moving to Losec. So it's, uh, we'll see. We'll see. They've got a lot of power, not relative to Nullsec, but like re- relatives everywhere that isn't Nullsec. So if they go to NPC Nullsec or if they go to Losec, they should be relatively secure at themselves and be able to fight and live and all that sort of stuff. But their entire alliance, their entire coalition being has been controlling large swaths of Nullsec space and renting it out. That goes away. We're not yet sure what that means for them. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if Gobbins follows through on his aim to break up their coalition, then it won't matter where they go. The, you know, the objective will still be that they don't exist like that anymore. Um, I'm sure if, you know, they just existed as a wormhole group or as a low sec group, that would probably be mission accomplished. But, uh, yeah, where will they go? And, um, they're not really welcome in now, it seems. So, yeah, game over. Ah, game over indeed. Well, we've touched about it a little bit, but uh, Wrecking Crew relocating to Losec, we, I think, I don't know if we mentioned it really briefly in a previous show or not, but uh, Zero, what's the story with that? So I'm, I've never really been able to get to full, full grips with, you know, who exists down in um, Provi and who, who's in Wrecking Crew versus what, what is Provi Block and, and, you know, all these different questions. I've never really. It's not exactly as if you can go on the internet and like look this up, right? You know, you kind of have to talk to people and find out. It's not as if there's a game feature where you can look up coalitions, you know? You can't tell what alliances are linked with who. Um, but as far as I can make out, Wrecking Crew were uh, a smaller group of, of alliances um, that existed in, in low sec for a long time. And then at some point in the last few years, they kind of accidentally took over Providence space and went into catch a bit in different places. They just sort of fell into solve, is my understanding. Um, actually, it was covered, uh, the the coalition leader or former or pseudo-coalition leader, Rocket X, uh, was on um, Talking Stations talking about this last week. And I listened to the whole thing, and he, he sort of goes through um, their journey into that area, and then sort of their, their what they did, how they defended the space, the challenges that they faced in sort of maintaining that because, you know, they took on a lot of smaller groups um, so that they had the the sort of the critical mass to defend things, but then kind of got worn down by having to coordinate, uh, you know, sort of fighting, defending against um, deep water hooligans and snuff recently, um, you know, the, the whole infrastructure stuff. And kind of eventually got a little bit fed up with it all and have now decided to reconsolidate back to their original small group. I think it's Purple Helmeted Warriors and a couple of others and have gone back to Losec. So that leaves um, the Royal Consortium and other groups being reset. And they're still in uh, Losec, they're in Provi. Uh, as far as I understand, Wrecking Crew, the coalition still holds some sov down there. Um not, they don't have any intention of giving up that solve, but at the same time, it doesn't sound like they're really going to put up a huge fight if it gets contested. And, you know, they've got a lot of assets. They've got soup capital fleets and things. 
that they're just going to keep, you know, in LOSAC now. Um, and and it's an interesting, listen, you know, it, it goes through sort of the, the game theory around how, you know, they defended against um, Deepwater Hooligans and the fights they chose versus the fights they didn't choose. Some of the tipping points when, you know, some some fights went on and, and should have, shouldn't have happened. Perhaps it was a 300 bill dread fight that, uh, that Rocket X thought maybe Deepwater Hooligans were spurred on by that shouldn't have happened. Um, different things like that. And, and some, you know, decisions to lose strategically leave structures go, not to be worn out by ongoing sort of timer defenses. And, um, it just, yeah, it does sound like a lot of work, to be honest, uh, running a, a SOV holding, um, group and, and defending all that space against groups like Deepwater Hooligans and Snuff and things. Um, it's, it's kind of like a second job, isn't it? Uh, and you need many people doing that if you're going to, unless you really love it and you want that to be the, the way you play the game. It, it can get old, suffice to say. It just it, it wears. You know, a lot of the timers are thankless. Um, even if you keep the systems, you still have to pay an upkeep for them. So you're kind of winning the right to pay CCP a monthly check for yourself. Yeah, it does feel like a war of attrition um, most of the time. I think that's fair enough, right? That's kind of how war works, right? You know, it's not as if it's like a couple of battles and whoever wins wins. It's it's usually a long drawn out who can stick around longest, who who's got the the will, who's got the uh, the motivation. Um and, and those are the groups that, you know, win these these battles overall. You know, the ones that um can do this for six months straight. Could keep generating timers on your, your in your front garden every day for six months until eventually you give in. And you let the forts go and you let the keeps go and things like that. So, yeah, um, some people love that, I think. Some people do, and uh, some don't. But some people like it for a while, and then, you know, that's enough. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like, you know, for, for Wrecking Crew, they they enjoyed it for a bit. They had what they wanted out of it. And then, in the end, they were kind of doing it more for other people than for themselves and decided to go do something else go back to what they were doing before. Yeah, which is fair. They they love what they're doing before, and they're very good at it. It's been nice seeing um, Templus Calcif and Faction Warfare a bit more, and that's their roots. We've run into them only a handful of times, hoping to see them a bit more now that we're deployed more toward the west of the conflict area, which is where they've been based. But it remains one of my favorite alliances in the game, and some really talented pilots and FCs there. So wish we were working with them, but glad we get to fight them. If not. Very nice. I've seen them in tournaments and things and, uh, they've, they've popped out of perhaps a, a filament or something in my time, but that's about it for me. That's my own exposure to them. I think they're very competent, aren't they? Oh, they're fabulous. Well, speaking of tournaments, uh, the captain's cup is coming up. That is, uh, something we've been practicing just recently we got rostered in it's a we haven't really talked about it much we'll probably talk about it a bit more when lave is on because he's been doing a lot of work for that but it's a 6v6 tournament and we've been trying to play around with 6v6 comps trying to get some new pilots involved should be very interesting yeah it's really interesting that you know each of the six sort of slots in the roster has like its own sort of predefined role almost because there's only a set amount of ships you can have per slot. So, you know, in slot one, for example, you can only have 
different types of battleships. Um, and then you go all the way down then to, to, you know, the last slot, which has to have some sort of frigate in it. Um, and even within that, there are criteria. Like sometimes it has to be like one of them has to be a logic cruiser, for example. Um, and that's really interesting, you know, because there's only so many comps you can envisage, but there's always room for people to be creative. Um, lots of rules about what sort of you can put in those, those ships as well. Uh, and there's some clear sort of suggestion that certain ships are definitely going to feature um, unless they're banned out. But uh, yeah, it's been really, really fun to to do it because I tell you, um, for me, you know, the, the Anger Games is a 77 format, right? And it's more like mm. the way it's done is more like um, like points-based uh, comps like the Alliance format does it. So, you know, you tend to have like sometimes comps where it's like five strong ships and then two kind of throwaway ships. Um, or some teams will try and spread the points out across the seven and they don't really have a strong, like they don't really have a battleship then or something like that. Well, with this, everybody's got a battleship. Everybody's got, you know, a logic cruiser. Everybody's got a frigate. Um, so you, you kind of, I don't know, if it, it feels a little more like, like a tournament, I suppose, um, of pilots rather than just like with the Alliance tournament in the Anchor Games, a lot feels a lot more like, uh, you need, you know, you, you, you can be, you can make or break it in theory crafting alone, you know, just, just by, knowing the meta or not reading your opponent and fielding the right ships, you can just win, you know, before you even get on field. And of course, that's still the same with this format. It's going to be, you know, where some kiting comps will always, you know, sort of outmatch some brawling comps and things like that. But not maybe not as much. I don't know. We're yet to be seen this early days. It's it's interesting. I think it makes the tournament a little more accessible in some ways, but it also takes out a lot of the potential uniqueness with those roles so well defined. Yeah, I think more it feels more like um an introduction to tournament play rather than like that the apex. But uh I think that's how it was intended by Jintan and it was supposed to be more accessible. Um and maybe well, one of the things about it somewhat oversubscribed <laughs> lots of lots and lots and lots of uh, interest and lots of people signing up so um i i just if 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 the message can be uh to jintan if, if the message can get there how appreciated all of the effort is and and whoever else is working behind the scenes to make it happen it really is appreciated and i can't imagine you know the pressure and stuff but it, it i think everyone who's involved thinks it's worth it and um you know, the more sort of tournament stuff that we do in the EVE, I think the better. And I'm just really thrilled with the whole thing. Well, we shall see how it plays out. We'll give you guys a bit of an update on how the practices go and what the meta is shaping up like. There was another tournament um, I heard about recently. It was um, a 2v2 tournament run by Sharks versus Bears, who are the sort of the the sequel really to red versus blue i think um because red versus blue the the corp that was sort of famously at war with each other um permanently at war uh sort of to introduce people to to pvp uh i think they disbanded last year and out of the ashes came sharks versus bears and i think i may have got my dates mixed up here but uh anyway sharks versus bears i think this is the second 2v2 tournament that they've hosted 
and it's sometime I think next month. But I only heard about it the other day, so I was like, oh, I didn't know about that. Moving on to our host highlights, I've got a quick fun one. We had a friendship fleet last weekend. This uh, was kind of a get-to-know-you thing for our new alliance partners. We brought our favorite ships for a kitchen sink fleet, and then we would trade them. So I traded ships with one of the director FCs in Horngree, and I was flying his ship and vice versa. And, oh my god, didn't plan it this way, but we ran into multiple faction battleship kills on this roam. It was one of the most action-packed fleets that I've ever run in a very, very short period of time. <laughs> and I, I mean, we, I've gone out since around the same time of day and just could not find anywhere close to that level of activity. I don't know what was in the water that day, but we had an embarrassment of riches for kills and fights. It was a lot of fun, and we came away with very, very green kill boards. That nightmare we killed. And, and what was the other ship that was with it? So uh, Barcast, I believe. Yeah, oh, that was ridiculous. I mean, we were already like in the middle of something, and there was something else going on, and then next thing you know, it's like, quick, 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 come. We think we can tackle a nightmare. <laughs> we almost got a Varger, too, but he exercised the better part of Valor. He was close, though. He was he was thinking about aggressing. What's your highlight there? So for me, um, I, I, I've been very fortunate since coming back. Uh, I haven't I haven't suffered any losses as yet, um, and I came close the other day in a slasher. Uh, there was a handful of us in slashers. We <laughs> we decided to engage a war target Caracal in low sec on a gate, so. No gate guns to worry about, but obviously rapid lights to worry about. And I was in a slasher. I was primaried. I thought, oh, here comes my first loss of the year. And I overheated everything, including belief. Um, <laughs> and it was an AB fit slasher, which I think was the only thing that saved me. Um, and uh, managed to escape with four hit points of structure. So I was quite pleased with that. I'm seeing a lot of slasher activity on the boards, including a slasher killing one of our guys in a cormorant, which really shouldn't be possible, but happened. <laughs> like, that, what is with slashers these days? I'm missing the boat on these ships. Well, it, we had the artifact ones, and I think, you know, I was really surprised how much, you know, DPS you can get out of a slasher. Like, it was over 100, uh, which, you know, isn't huge figures. But when you consider, you know, it's a slasher and nobody nobody expects to be killed by a slasher um yeah i mean great well for some shout outs i want to give shout outs to our golden elite supporters bodie wilson fade atreides kestrel swainson krav mark havoc tain tingu and tweak longtime supporters members of the golden elite on patreon thank you very much guys and i want to give a shout out to all of the returning noir members we've had come back in the past month or so uh, zero of which you are you are one we just had annabelle come back yesterday i believe or this morning one of the two yes and already uh you know joined us in our space and i saw annabelle in local and i thought oh green green for corp member excellent uh, so yeah very good terminus back so many people have come back it's it's amazing feels great to get everybody back together some of my favorite people in eve and there's some names that i i i've never met them before but uh, i recognize them from the look the top 100 killers in Noir's history, <laughs> you know? And, um, 
yeah, it's amazing to see people perhaps that haven't, come, haven't played the game in many years coming back. I'm still waiting for Arkantantics to come back. I've, I've only recently beat him out in the top killers of all time <laughs> list. He had I'm, eclipsed me for some time now, but uh, thanks to the glory of Faction Warfare, I'm now beating him 7,244 kills to 6,473. I was wondering what the story was behind that. Um, I was looking the other day and I thought, oh, Alex Top now. Hey. But uh, yeah, who is this mysterious person? Uh, Arkantantix is our longest serving Australian director. And he was a triple boxer, at least, maybe even quad. He had a camp system for R3 in Providence. It's like a falcon, a saber, and something else which escapes me. Uh, but he, the three of them together, he would just set up camp every day practically, and he would just kill dozens and dozens of Providence ships. Unbelievable, perfect efficiency. Kill after kill after kill. And sure enough, uh, when I was not in Noir for a little bit, he kept doing that, and he knocked me off the perch. <laughs> But uh, he's been away from the game for a bit, so I finally managed to overtake him. It's on a hard road. <laughs> he had that title for quite a while. Well, uh, Xavier is back. He was our sixth killer. Artemis is back. Was our seventh killer. Well, noticing Viz just knocked off Nydia. That must have happened this week. Uh, Viz taking the twelfth spot from Nydia Masters, beating him by fifteen kills. And it looks like Ikea will join him pretty soon. Uh, Nidia has 2,380 kills. Aikyo, 2,299. <laughs> it's a fascinating list, that list. I mean, that, I think that's one of the things I love about you is just the richness of the history and things like that. Just look at the numbers. Nidia now to over top, top killer lists and things. I think it's interesting. The uh, Our Time and Mercenary Coalition, which is only a couple of years, over 30,000 kills in total beats our entire time into our mercenary group by a couple thousand. But network is already top three. We are three and a half thousand behind our mercenary group as far as all-time kills. And I think at the pace we're going, we will knock off Mercenary Coalition as the killingest alliance that Norris ever been in in pretty short order. I was wondering if that was going to happen this year, actually. And I, and again, like, you know, Noir, 100,000 kills is coming up. Um, Ooh. I don't know when that'll be. You're right. We are at uh, 93,296. That's... We we just went through our 25th trillion-isk kill. That must have happened this past week as well. Not bad for a small gang mercenary alliance. Not bad at all. You can hear the smile on my face, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is our body of work. This is everything I've done in EVE's all... All rolling into one thing. Get that 100,000th kill. That'll be pretty sweet. So, so Terminus, who joined just back recently, is uh, 27th on the list. Some some classic names on here that are still active. Got to get them back, though. And some folks that haven't been active but could be. And some folks, we have no idea what's happened with them. They just sort of dropped off the face of the earth one day. Another one who came back recently is uh, Grave Harkin, yeah? Yeah. Uh, 18th. Back. Yeah. 18th top killer in the world. 
No, Akbad for his activist he's been, only 67th on the list. Akbad's always in wearing a different mask, though, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's got a lot of characters. Oh, good times. Uh, what's your shout outs here? We're getting lost in the we're getting lost on the nostalgia road here. Well, I was wondering what um Brisk was gonna do about uh the meta show's departure of um Mitani and he's had lots of guests uh since that's happened, but uh I was halfway through listening to it today and I will finish it off later, but the Meta Show has a new co host in Mark Resurrectus. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the Meta Show. Um, and wishing them the best this year in their fourth season. Hopefully all goes well and, uh, you know, Mark and Brisk enjoy that together for the next uh, foreseeable future, really. Absolutely. We love the meta show over here. It's, I think, the podcast I would recommend the strongest. Yeah, not really a podcast, like I guess, a Twitch stream, but podcasty, talk showy. Yeah, it's one of those ones that I find you don't have to watch it. You can listen to it, and that's how I consume it mostly, is just to uh, get it on Spotify and listen to it on a Monday on the way to work. Yeah, they're, they're absolutely brilliant. And you know, Imperium, always if they're not driving the Nelsec meta, they have their finger on the pulse of the Nelsec meta. So if you want to know what's going on in the back rooms of the EVE Online world and what's going on in the end game of EVE, it is the show to check out. But as for our show, that's it, guys. Thank you for joining us. Go to declarationsofwar.com to participate in our show poll, youtube.com slash C slash AlexeyFK to consume our YouTube content. And, of course, NAR recruitment is on. We are bringing in more people than we've ever brought in in the past couple months. Um, our corpse size has absolutely swelled. Uh, but we still just small gangs because we are divided essentially across three time zones now. Um, you will find yourself a really great close-knit community no matter what time you log in to play with really fun small gang fights. But now you're able to get that much more regularly when you hop on because the chances someone else is also on are really, really high. And there is always something happening in Faction Warfare. And when you join us, you're not just getting Faction Warfare content, you are still getting some of the best content from around the game Empire, Losec, Nullsec, Wormholes through our contracts. So give us a check out. We're happy to talk to you, maybe take you on a fleet. We can uh, see what it's like, see if it's for you. You can find us in-game at Cafe Noir Dot. You'll find a link to our Discord, answers to all your questions, cool people to hang out with. If you're in Faction Warfare already, come grind some plexes with us. It's fun. And we will see you for the 250th episode on the next show. I cannot believe we hit that milestone. Wow. It feels great. Uh, wherever you are, whoever you're flying with, good hunting listeners. <laughs>